Pepe Marie and you're listening to another Solid Gold Podcast. There's this quote by Harry Truman that not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And whether this is true or not, I find it easier to connect with people who are curious about stuff. And I think the best way to find out about stuff and to be flexible in the way you think about things is to read widely. Today I talk to my best friend, Rian Volmerans, who's a journalist, editor, grammar Nazi, Trekkie, librarian, and one of the most well-read people I know. We are using a cartoon by Grant Snyder as our inspiration for a discussion on books that changed our lives. To see the cartoon, go to the Unchanged blog, which you can find at solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash Unchange. Hi, Rian. Tell, <laughs> tell me why you love reading. Well, it's a great way to get knowledge into your head, first of all. But, you know... It's come a long way. I mean, my mother was a primary school teacher, so she ensured that by the time I went to grade one, I was already able to read. And it meant that, you know, when the grade one teacher wanted some time to herself, she would tell little Rian to read to the class because the rest of them were too stupid to read. So that's where it started. And then I became that little kid who went to the library five times a week and finished all his books by the very next day. And then, of course, that got to the point where the library said, well, why don't you just come and work here? since you're here all the time anyway. And that happened. <laughs> and then I did work part-time at the library in between studying and doing other jobs. And throughout all that time, I've kept reading. I mean, the library job, I had to go after a while because my journalism career took over all that time. I still refer to our house as the Mill Hill Branch Library. It's huge, the collection, and we certainly don't really buy any Kindle books. It's all made of paper. Have you ever gone through change in your personal life or at work and thought to yourself, there must be a better way to do this? Welcome to On Change, the podcast that explores change that works and the people who make it happen. And now from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Pietro Dupisani. The first category in the cartoon that I was referring to is around the book I couldn't put down. I hate to admit it, but in my late 20s and early 30s, I grew an appendage to my arm, which was always the latest Harry Potter book. I think I even took a day off work to finish the last one in the series. It may have been the fantasy that there's some other world out there that you don't know about and which could potentially change your life. All of those books completely couldn't put any of them down. So do you have any books in that category? I do, and I'm taking you back to myself being about standard four, perhaps. And by that time, I had basically finished reading the entire children's library selection. And one day, my mother, for herself, borrowed a copy of Stephen King's book, Cujo. And I looked at the book, and I went, oh, that looks interesting. And she said, you are not allowed to read this book. So, of course, the first moment she looked away at home, I got the book, and I read it. And then I brought along today a copy of Stephen King's book uh, called Skeleton Crew, which is a collection of short stories. Now, he is a master of horror short stories. And I read Cujo and then discovered who is this amazing author called Stephen King who writes about gruesome, terrifying things in the most visceral way and made, brought lots of thrill to a young boy's life without his mum even knowing he's reading it. Because she found out soon after that I had now read the book and loved it. 
And I think then she realized I wasn't getting any nightmares or having any nightmares and I was fine to read these books. And so she unleashed me on the adult library and she told the librarian he's allowed to take whatever he wants. It's fine. It's already scarred for life probably, so it's fine. He started reading Stephen King in, in grade six. And after I read Cujo, this was the next one I read called Skeleton Crew. And the stories in here are so amazing that I read this book probably about five or six times within three or four years. So I do remember these stories quite fondly and certainly something I could not put down at the time. And then, of course, by that time, Stephen King had already written quite a few books because he's very prolific. So there was a lot of Stephen King for me to catch up with. And then later in my life, a similar thing happened with Terry Pratchett. He started reading Terry Pratchett and I brought along today a book called Mort, in which the wonderful character of death is introduced. Terry Pratchett created an amazing world called Discworld, and once you started reading about Discworld and the wonderful people who live there, they are wizards and witches, but none of them are quite as fantastical as they want to be more funny than anything else. And there's luggage with little feet and all kinds of amazing creatures and monsters, and it's all in the back of a giant turtle. Once you start reading that, you literally can't put down a Terry Pratchett book because it's funny, it's gripping, it's inventive, it's wonderful. So, yes, it's not Pulitzer Prize winning, but it's certainly a series of books I couldn't put down. I find the same as well, but I think there's certain books in your life that are very relevant in a certain time period of your life. So I read most of the Terry Pratchett books when I was in university. So you find them then, and also I couldn't put them down as well. But I think if I had to read them now, I probably wouldn't find them quite as funny because you've learned so much stuff since then. I was going to mention Terry Pratchett under books that have forever changed my life, and they did. I can definitely recommend Terry Pratchett to anybody who's looking to get into reading in a fun way. I do think that more serious books, if you will, I mean, I hate making the distinction between genre literature, your sci-fi, speculative fiction, fantasy, horror, and so-called serious literature. I don't think there should be much of a distinction, even though there are different genres, obviously. But not being able to put a book down doesn't really have to be contained to a certain genre of book. And it doesn't mean anything if it's a Terry Pratchett or an award-winning novel, a Booker Prize-winning novel. If it's a good story, it's going to keep you gripped and you won't be able to stop reading it. I completely agree with that. So one of the books that I absolutely could not put down was by Christos Tiolkas, okay, which is called The Slap, which is then relates also made into a TV series as well. I think the thing I loved about that book was that it was written from eight different perspectives. So you had the story being told from eight different viewpoints, which meant that you could get a different perspective on how each person might perceive a specific event. And it just shows you that people think about stuff differently. So I really, really enjoyed reading that book. As you mentioned, Christos Tiolkas. I brought along a book called Barracuda, which is an interesting kind of coming-of-age tale about a young swimmer and the things that happened to him in his life. He has a very good book that is almost unputdownable also, but I do like his books as an example of books that also start affecting your life and reflecting your life because he has a very good way of bringing gay characters into his books in a very natural, integrated way. So without making an issue about a character's sexuality, it is woven into his novels in a fantastic way. In the same way that he writes about the Greek community in Australia and how they integrate into Australian society, he does the same with gay and lesbian characters. Oh, that's great. The next category of books I'd like to speak about is the book I couldn't pick up. Okay, so I'll start off with so I started reading Walter Isaacson's biography of Benjamin Franklin. 
And after reading for a month, just to complete about 10% of the book, I gave up because it's just so rich in detail. I felt like I was missing out on 10 other books by reading this book because it took so long to read it. And I know that I should read his biography on Einstein, but I just can't. I just can't bring myself to read it because I know it's going to take me forever and forever and forever to read it. And there's other books which I'll mention as well in that same category. But what do you think? Well, my example I brought today is a book called Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. She is obviously a very acclaimed author. The book is highly acclaimed. And I tried, and you can see my bookmark there. It's about a third of the way through. And sometimes you read a book and you realize it's really good. It's well written. And clearly the author has skill in putting those words together on a page. But it just doesn't grip you. Clearly it's won prizes, so there must be something in there. But you might feel like a bit of a failure, but you're just not going to finish this book. And life's too short. The same thing has happened to me with authors like Irvin Welsh who tends to write in dialect, that can be very annoying, especially when the dialogue becomes so almost illegible because you have to translate the dialect as it's written into something that sounds like you can, something you can understand. Completely agree. Uh, another book in this category is, I read the first book of Ken Follett's Century Trilogy, which is called Fall of Giants. And while I learned a lot about the First World War and what it was like to live in those times and all of that, after finishing that book, and it took me a long time to read it because it's also one of those tomes, and it was recommended to me by a very special friend who insisted that he loves Ken Follett's books, all of them. So I thought, let me try this book. So I read the first one, and then after I struggled through it, I decided I'll give myself some time before I do the second book in the trilogy, and that was about four years ago. And I still haven't read the second book because I just can't bring myself to read more about the war. And what Ken Follett does to his characters, he makes them suffer. And it's really difficult to <laughs> to go through all of the suffering with them. So I'd rather read something a little bit more lighthearted. True. But also, the main thing I think we should agree on today is that it doesn't matter what you read. As long as you read and you enjoy it. It doesn't matter if it's a Terry Pratchett book or a Booker Prize winning novel or the Bible or a nonfiction book as long as you're reading and you're enjoying it. So you should never feel guilty about abandoning a certain book for whatever reason it is. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I've given myself permission to put a book down. If I've read about 5 to 10% of it and I'm just not getting into it, it's okay. I can put it onto my abandoned shelf on Goodreads. It's fine. I just put it there and I never go back to it again and I can forgive myself. For me, that's true for nonfiction quite often, just because I work in a newsroom all day in the middle of streams of facts and factual information, or non-factual information, as our critics would say. So by the time I get home, when I do read non-fiction, it tends to be a chapter here, a chapter there. I don't really feel at that point wanting to re consume an entire non-fiction book, and, unless it's really good, perhaps. But I certainly turn to fiction when I get home more than non-fiction. Let's talk about the next category, which is the book you gave me. And since we lived together for quite some time, probably about three years in Melville, I think we gave each other lots of books and we lent books to and from each other and that sort of thing. So there's one that I can really remember. I think you bought it at a secondhand book sale for me at some point in time. It was a book by Karen Slaughter called Kiss Cut, and which was quite apt because I really love crime and detective novels. And then in the next section when we talk about books that we want to read on holiday, you'll see that I've, there's a lot of stuff that grew from being given crime and detective novels. Yes. So when we lived together, we had lots of fun. We both like 
entertaining books. We both like humorous books. We read Elmore Leonard at the time. That's a bit of crime and a bit of entertainment right there. And Cole Hyerson is another author that we had a lot of his books in our house because it, it brings together some entertainment and a bit of mystery and crime. But the one I brought along is actually by Marion Keys. Now, you could dismiss Marion Keys as a, an author for girls, writing girly books about girly topics. But you reach a certain day and you need a bit of a lift and you read one of her books. The one I brought along is called Lucy Sullivan is Getting Married. And she introduces this Irish family of several daughters. And in her novels, she explores the love lives of these girls from various angles and from various perspectives. And certainly, it's such a fun book to read. And the way that she writes about these people, yeah, it is a bit girly, but it's also incredibly entertaining. Now, I know that no rugby-loving Afrikaans male would be seen with a Marion Keys novel in his hands. But actually, they all could do with reading it. And you were the one who introduced me to Marion Keys, so thanks for that. And I remember that for several years after, we bought every copy of her new novels as they came out. So the next category is all around the books I bought for the beach, which I think as we are nearing sort of a festive season and holiday season at the end of the year now, I think we can talk about books that you would read when you were on a holiday. And what I was going to mention was Marion Keys, because I think as far as reading something lighthearted and nice, if I was going to go to the beach and be sipping a cocktail and sitting in a lounge chair, I think Marion Keys would be very apt for that. But even though Marion Keys is chiclet, she also deals with some serious topics as well. I mean, some of her books are about alcoholism or losing somebody and, and being grieving over somebody. So it's not just fluffy, light-hearted stuff. There's actually some real topics in there as well. Exactly, yes. So, but books on holiday, that's a fantastic thing to have. It is these days when I find the most time to read would be when I'm on holiday. And I'm a fast reader, so I can easily go through a book every day or two days if I have time to sit next to a pool somewhere with drink of an alcoholic nature in one hand and a book in the other hand. And on planes, of course, planes, trains and automobiles. I can't read in cars because, unfortunately, I've been cursed with feeling car sick very quickly if I read in a car. But other modes of transport certainly allow lots of time for reading. So when I go on holiday, I always lug around a giant bag of books because I don't believe in a Kindle, doesn't exist. And, you know, there's something to say about the, for the tactile experience of reading in paper. Which is an interesting topic because... If anybody who knows you knows you that you're like this big trackie. And what do trackies have? What do people in Star Trek have? They have these tricorders, which is pretty much a tablet, which could also double as a Kindle. And, you know, you would think that you would be more technology savvy, but no. But it's okay. Um, so when I go on a holiday, I take my Kindle with me, and I normally have preloaded with lots and lots and lots of books. And I also do a lot of travel for work. So if I'm flying overseas on aeroplanes, I don't watch any of the movies. I actually read a lot of books. So I've already mentioned that if I was going to go on a beach holiday and it was sunny and cocktail-y and that sort of thing, I would read Marianne Keys. But I would also, I really much like to read Alexander McCall Smith. So all of the books in the number one lady detective agency, they're slow moving, but I just like the way he describes the characters and what they do and all these musings about life and what life is about and that sort of thing. And it's, of course, set in Botswana, which is our neighbor. Um, so I really like to read his books as well. So one of my holiday examples that I brought along is by Michael Chabon. It's called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It is actually a Pulitzer Prize winning author, rather, just to prove I don't only read Terry Pratchett, if you wanted to criticize me for that. And this book specifically, we visited Japan, which is an amazing country. And 
to get around there, the public transport is top of the range, and you spend a fair bit of time on trains going around from one city to the other. And this is where I read this book, so I definitely remember the cover is done in kind of comic art style with different panels and iconography on there. The book itself is set in New York City from 1939 onwards, and it is about two people who get involved in the comic book industry and the amazing adventures they have throughout their careers working in the comic book industry. Now, not only is it a very good book, but I'm also a collector of classic comic books, among my many other little oddities. So it was quite a good book for me to read, just because it very much gave me a bit of a, a window into the 1930s, 1940s and 50s in the comic book industry in New York City, where it all started. And then, of course, it's a really well-written book also. If I had to go on holiday in a cold place, so if I was going to go on a winter holiday somewhere, then I would definitely recommend for people to read the Armand Gamache series by Louise Penny. Because firstly, the way that Louise Penny describes how people are eating food just makes you want to eat that food the whole time as well. And I find her books, for me, are like comfort food for the soul. So if I need something just a little bit comforting and sit in a winter setting, then I love to read her books. Also, wintry type stuff is I also like to read the books by Joe Nesbo, especially the ones that are set in Norway because they are like they're stark and they're gritty. And I just love the way that Scandinavian writers can describe crime. A lot like Stig Larsson's books as well and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I just love crime books, but the way that Norwegian and Scandinavian writers can pull you into this world of crime is just a lovely way to experience their countries, I guess. Yes, and if you believe Scandinavian writers, they have a higher murder rate than Johannesburg and Mexico City put together. <laughs> Which is not true. <laughs> The next category is around the book I tried so hard to like. So I loved the book Zoo City by Lauren Birkus. So I tried very, very hard to like The Shining Girls, but I, I just couldn't get into it. I just couldn't get into the time travel and all that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, that's also now on my abandoned shelf on Goodreads. So did you read Zoo City? It's funny you mentioned that example because I felt exactly the same about both books. And it's not about her as an author, because I've seen her actually speaking in public a few times, and she's always very engaging and, and wonderful to listen to. But it was the same for me. Zoo City was, was marvelous, and Shining Girls I finished, but it just didn't deliver the same kind of punch for me as Zoo City did. I tried very hard to read it. The main character in Zoo City has got a spirit animal, which is a sloth. If you had to have a spirit animal, what would your spirit animal be? be a squirrel, and it would be crazy. <laughs> I think mine will be a, like a big cat, one that has these bursts of energy and then just sleeps the rest of the day. Except my squirrel would, would gather books, not nuts. <laughs> cool. What is the book that you somehow have three copies of? Well, that was quite a funny one to prepare for because in our house, the the one that came to mind immediately was the book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, because we are not a religious household, but my partner is specifically atheist. If you can be, have degrees of atheism, <laughs> don't know how that is possible, <laughs> but you could, I suppose. And this book, he bought it first and read it, and I read it later on also, and it makes a fantastic argument about atheism or not, at least not being spiritual or not religious in, in many amazing ways. But then, of course, you know, as people have come through our house over the years, 
Dion loves giving this book to people to read to the point where I think we've probably lost more copies or just given them away permanently than any other book in our house. So I think every couple of years we just buy a new copy anyway. So there's usually about two or three floating around in the house. We should actually earn commission from the author, I think, on this book. Oh, that's a good idea. So the book that I've got more than one copy of is not because I bought it by accident. It was because I visited a couple in Birmingham a couple of years ago, and we went out for a curry dinner. And I just absolutely loved the, well, the UK national dish. And they recommended an author to me and a book of curry recipes. So I went, ah, oh, that sounds good. In the airport on the way out, I bought a copy of the book that they'd recommended. And then they came to visit me in South Africa about two or three years later. And they brought that same book with them as a present for me. So I had to hide my copy of that book so they didn't see it. Like I don't want to make them feel bad, you know, so I, I hid my copy of the curry recipe book, but now I've got two. I do always encourage my friends to give me book tokens or books for gifts because it's what I do to other people. But then you have to learn the, oh, I don't have this book face. I mean, you have to know how to pull that face because quite often you'll tear off the wrapping at Christmas or on your birthday and they'll be, oh, it's the latest Stephen King novel. And, oh, no, I have not read this. I've been so looking forward. Meanwhile, you have, you've already gone through that copy, like just when the day it came out or something like that. Well, the category is called the book that saved my life, but I think we can make it the book that saved or changed or affected my life. So what do you have in that category? Well, I kind of have two subcategories in that, in a way, because it's quite a broad thing mm -hmm. to try to think about. Interestingly enough, if you were a Christian person, your answer might well be the Bible. I mean, you might think as a non-religious household, my answer would be something like The God Delusion, about we, which we just spoke. I mean, I find books like that interesting, but certainly not life-changing. Uh, they give you a new perspective, and that's fantastic. But the books that I do find that have changed my life. So first of all, I like that in recent years, we've kind of moved away from the terms science fiction and fantasy. And the more inclusive term speculative fiction has been used, which is also confusingly abbreviated as SF, of course. I like the name speculative fiction because quite often I think science fiction fantasy got a bad rap because of people think, oh, it's genre literature and it's cheap and trashy and you shouldn't be read by serious people. That's in fact not true. One of the authors I have on my pile here is an author called Neil Gaiman, who is a British author. He's very famous for not only writing amazing novels with interesting new worlds and ideas in them, he's also well known in the comic book industry for working on the Sandman series, among others. And he's done a lot of interesting things as side projects. For example, he wrote my favorite Doctor Who episode in one of the more recent series of Doctor Who, in which Doctor Who gets to meet the personality of his TARDIS spaceship, and it was a magnificent episode. So, And why I like him is because, yes, it is fantasy, broadly speaking, but the way that he presents a story is so enchanting and so different. The copy that I brought along here is of a novel called American Gods, it was also made into quite a marvelous television series recently. So American gods, imagine, if you will, that the gods of old still existed and walked among us, but their existence is based on how many believers there are that still believe in them. And, of course, then there are the new gods who have come along, like television and things like that, who have now come to life because of people's belief in them or addiction to them. 
a novel like this, he uses those ideas and concepts and weaves into the most fantastic story. And he's done the same thing in many other novels, all of which I own. Neil Gaiman is one of the authors that I appreciate because of the way he thinks about things, the way he takes something, an ordinary city, an ordinary idea, and puts something magical into it in a way that you wouldn't expect. I guess the books that changed my life, probably a bit more serious than the ones that you've brought. So the first one I had on my list was The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, because it taught me that being happy is a choice. You don't have to be negative and drown in negativity. You can actually choose to be happy. And what's nice about the book, I read it probably over the course of about a year, is that each chapter gives you practical exercises on how to achieve happiness and change your way of thinking. And if you work through that, then it actually really does change your life. Just building on what I said about Neil Gaiman, I also brought a book called Aberat by Clive Barker. I mean, he's quite a prolific fantasy author also. He's also very skilled at creating these amazing worlds that you, you can get just get lost in, and, and the ideas and the creatures and people in these worlds, it's something quite amazing. And then I brought a book by China Mihevel, the British author, called Unlondon. This specific book is called Unlondon, spelled U-N-L-U-N-D-U-N. Now, China Mihevel I discovered while living in the UK for a few years, and he is basically these other authors like Neil Gaiman and Clive Barker to the extreme. He takes what they do and makes it into a craft. Not that they're bad authors by any means, but he brings together your kind of fantasy elements with the most amazing ideas that I don't know where on earth he gets them from, and then writes them and brings into that history and philosophy and all kinds of other interesting sciences and social sciences. And it's written in the most engaging way. You feel like you're learning as you go along about not only about things in your world, but also about just how amazing language can be. I went to a talk by him in London, which was fantastic. And London, for example, is, imagine if you will, there's an alternative London, in reality, sort of side by side with a normal London, where broken things go. Broken things and broken people. And they end up in this slightly alternate reality that is un-London. Um, he also wrote an amazing book called The City and the City, just to illustrate the way he thinks. And it's being made into a miniseries by the BBC, actually. I don't know how they're going to do it, because it's about two cities, two city-states, like Singapore or Monaco, perhaps, that exist in exactly the same location. So you have one city and the buildings, but some buildings are in one city, which is a completely different nation from the other city. And people walk past each other in the street, but they're not allowed to look at some people because those are people from the other city, etc., etc. So it's those kind of ideas that really keep me engaged. And I think maybe it's, again, my job in a very fact-based environment. And why I say these books change my life is because they give me reason to escape from the world. And you need that as a journalist because we get so sucked into the terrible news of the day. Everything is death, blood, corruption. I mean, those are the stories that make the news, that sell newspapers. So these books allow me to look at different realities and sort of, you know, get a bit of hope back for humankind. Oh, I like that. So if I had to think about fantasy-type books that changed my life, I had on my list The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams because when I read it in university, it was my first exposure to intergalactic comedy. And it was just great that you could experience fantasy like that. It was just a, a way to see that everything is possible. And also, of course, he gives you great tips on how to fly. Another book that I would say changed my life is called The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruz. 
It's a practical guide to personal freedom. So this is, may also be the book that I recommend to most people to read. If somebody is struggling with something in life, then it's one of the books that I recommend for most people to pick it up and read it. And then another one that's also in this category is The Fountain Head by Anne Rind, which taught me that even though it's difficult to be individualistic and to stand up for what you think is right, it's the right thing to do. So this poor character in this book, Howard Rourke, he struggles and struggles and struggles to design buildings that other people might not find interesting, but it's what he was meant to do, and then he just stands up for himself, and eventually he triumphs. So I really enjoyed reading that book as well. Well, if I have to get a bit more serious about books that change lives, I do have a bit of a theme sometimes. I do like books about books and books about libraries and books that have characters that are involved in books and libraries. So I brought along a, a book by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. He wrote a book called The Shadow of the Wind, which when I discovered it was quite amazing because first of all, the book is set in Barcelona, which is my favorite city in the world. I visited several times and I always love it there. And the blurb on the back says, Hidden in the heart of the old city of Barcelona is the cemetery of forgotten books, a labyrinthine library of obscure and forgotten titles. How can you not just want to read that immediately? And then on the first page it says, the first line of the book says, I still remember the day my father took me to the cemetery of forgotten books for the first time. And from there unfolds a most amazing tale of a bookstore as this cemetery of forgotten books, a, a general mystery of involving all kinds of shady characters. And it's all set in this wonderful city during days gone by. So for me, again, it was a book that set more in reality than perhaps Neil Gaiman or Clive Barker, for example, but certainly something that reminded me of amazing times in my life so often that it became a very special book for me. And I read it several times. And I brought along the sequel to it called The Labyrinth of the Spirits, which is brand new. And I bought it a week ago. And I'm saving it for my December reading list. So I'm very excited to see what happens next in the tale of the Cemetery of Forgotten Books. <laughs> the next category is around the book I lent you. And I'm sure with us living together for such a long time that I must have lent you hundreds of books and you must have lent me hundreds of books. And... I can't remember any specific one, but one of the books that I bought you is The History of the Rain by Niall Williams. And the reason why I bought this book for you is because it's so beautifully written. It's what poetry would look like in a novel form. So I really wanted you to have it. You also brought me the book uh, Ways of Staying when I was living in London. Oh, yes, in South Africa. Yes, yes I did. That's right. Because <laughs> so I wanted you to come back to Johannesburg, that's why. And here we are now. <laughs> I mean, it was part of my theme about books, but it's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. I actually gave this book to you to read mm -hmm. after I read it, and I think you even read it in paper. I mean, your hands must have been very tired from <laughs> holding the book all the time. But it is, yet again, I think it's a theme that I've actually got quite a few books like this. But there's a bookstore, amazing, mysterious books, some shady characters, and a big mystery to solve. And this one gets a bit metaphysical, so it's another fantastic book, but certainly one that, that I gave to you to read. And I did love reading it, even though it was paper and I had to turn the pages myself. The next category is around the book I fall asleep to every night. So if I had to think about this, the book I fall asleep to every night is the book I'm currently reading, because I always try to read a couple of pages before I go to sleep at night. But if I had to choose one specific book that I would put next to my bed 
and I'd be able to pick it up and just know it was happening no matter where I went into the book. It would be The Lord of the Rings by J.R.L. Tolkien because I read that book when I was 15 and I've reread it and I've watched all of the movies, the extended director's cuts, and I can definitely just pick up anywhere in that story and I'll know exactly what's happening to Frodo at that point in time. And I love the way the books were written because it's not just but an adventure to a mountain and back. There's so many good reflections on life and what it is like to be being alive. Yeah, I just fall asleep to whichever book I'm reading. It's as simple as that. And some nights it's one page in, some nights it's five chapters in, because it depends on what kind of day I've had. <laughs> now let's talk about the book I mistook for a hat. So I guess what the cartoonist is referring to here is a book by Oliver Sacks with the title The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Well, I never did read that book. I don't know if you read it, but I didn't read it. So the way Gavin explained it to me is that I should talk about a self-help book, which I thought was about one thing and then turned out to be completely about something else. I don't read a lot of self-help books, but the book that most closely resembles this description for me is the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, A Brief History of Humankind. I thought it would be about anthropology and that sort of stuff, but then it turned out to be about psychology and atheism, and it was absolutely fascinating to read, but I I must say it did make me quite depressed because it just described us as these little animals that are taking over the world and not thinking much about what we do. And the only reason why we got as far as we got is because we could collectively believe in myths. (laughs) That's what the whole book is about, pretty much. But yes, that's probably the one book which I thought was about one thing and then completely wasn't about that. It is on my reading list also. I think there are two copies in our house already of Sapiens. I can really think of a great example here because I mean, certainly I would never put a book into the rain to use as a hat because that would be terrible. I mean, as the, the librarian inside me would just be horrified if, if a book got wet. You but you would, you, you would use my Kindle, though. Oh, you yeah. definitely would. Oh, yes. <laughs> but perhaps one other book I've brought, as a, I brought it as a life-affecting book, but it's actually maybe an example of something I thought was one thing and was turned out to be something somewhat other. It's by Cormac McCarthy called The Road. I love post-apocalyptic fiction, whether it's on screen or in print. I love zombie movies. I will watch The Walking Dead until the end, etc., etc. And I read a lot of books set in some kind of future for where some kind of disaster has, has, has happened and humanity is trying to survive. And I read, you know, this book, the blurb in the back, and I knew it was acclaimed, but it sounded like, again, same old kind of recipe. Something's happened to humanity. People are trying to survive. They're on a journey somewhere. Bad things happen to them. And then you start reading it, and it is the bleakest book, I think, in existence. The depths of despair this book puts you through, it's certainly made for an interesting, unexpected change from the usual kind of adventurous type writing you find in novels like these. So this is one that I thought would be light and turned out to be something that has stayed with me forever, the experience of reading this book and what these characters go through. I don't think I'd be able to read it then. I don't need any bleakness. If you were going to write a book, what would the book be about? Well, if you read a lot, you always fantasize about would you be able to write the next great American novel, next great horror novel, next great South African novel. 
but I think an art form that I've always admired in literature is the art of the short story. Yeah, obviously, there's great skill involved in writing a 500-page tome about you know whichever topic. But once you start looking into short stories, whether they are genre short stories, horror, fantasy, sci-fi, or about any other topic in the world, the amount of craft, the level of craft that you need to write a story in a thousand words or in four pages and introduce characters and ideas, make the reader love those characters or hate them, and explore that idea in a most delightful fashion before the story comes to an end is a fantastic skill to have. As an example today, I brought along a book by Joe Hill, who happens to be the son of Stephen King, but he's becoming quite a good writer in his own way, also writing speculative fiction, I guess, not horror as much as his dad does, but this book is called 20th Century Ghosts, and it's a book of short stories. And some of them are a little bit of fantasy element in there, a bit of horror element, but some of them are quite straightforward also, but they are marvelously written. And there's one in particular called Pop Art, which starts with the words, my best friend when I was 12 was inflatable. <laughs> and it's the most wondrous story about this young boy who befriends a new kid at school who is literally inflatable, basically a balloon that can talk. And he keeps on floating off by accident and keeps on being bullied by other boys. And this boy befriends the inflatable boy and they have some adventures together. And then a few interesting things happen to them down the line. And it's only a few pages long, but it is a masterful way of creating this this little world with these two boys in one of whom is inflatable and with this element of unexpected magic. I mean, you know, how can they be an inflatable boy? But to make such a silly concept into something really quite serious and in the end the story is actually really sad. So it's that kind of craft that I admire. So I think if I had to write a book, I would love to be able to write short stories. I think in that category around short stories, my favorite author would be Roald Dahl because he wove the most magical stories in the short form. I love his books as well. So if I had to think about a book that I'm desperately trying to write or would like to write, I would just love to take some time off to do a PhD on change integrity. It's a, it would be a business book, but it would be all around teaching corporations how to implement change and doing it in a way that is humane and with integrity so that people can go through change and not feel completely done in by when they have to go through a change in a big corporate environment. So how do we do that? How do we do change with integrity? So my PhD would be on change integrity. I can prove for you. Of course you can. I mean, you proofread my master's thesis was on the financial benefit of doing borehole radar, which you then said Borioli radar. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to brighten up that dreary topic somehow. <laughs> The last sort of category is around all the books that changed my life, but I think we've covered most of them in any case. So let's talk about if you had to recommend or if you were going to buy books for people for Christmas, what would you buy them? So what are some of your favorite books that you would re-gift? I'll start with the books that I've recently read or that I would definitely give as presents. So one of my favorite books that I recently read is called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. It was such a nice journey into somebody who was really, really lonely and how they went through that and eventually wasn't lonely anymore. Another one in this sort of same category is called A Man Called Over by Frederick Backman, which deals a lot with somebody who's just lost somebody and is going through grief and how they deal with it. 
And I think that's a really nice book to give to somebody who is struggling with the loss of somebody important in their life. Another one that I really like, which has been made into a movie, I think, is called The Circle by Dave Eggers, because it's all around, I think it's modeled on Google probably, where Google is starting to take over your life, where eventually we'll be voting via Google, banking via Google, everything will be online, and how these big software companies will eventually take over your life. And so I thought it was quite futuristic, but in a way that you could actually see might happen in our lifetimes. Another book I really, really liked was uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, which is also now a movie by Steven Spielberg. Just because we went as a group, it was me and my boyfriend and his son, and we had both grown up in the 80s. And the movie is set sort of in the 80s, but also in the future. So it was a way in which we could bind people from different generations together, because we could all enjoy the movie, but it was very pop arty in terms of being set in the 80s almost. It was a marvelous yeah. book and the movie. Yes. Both were fun to, yes. to, to do, yes. Well, from my side, I mean, certainly it's a difficult question because it's like I hate it when people say, what's your favorite book? Because that changes every month. I mean, I have, as we've just explored, a series of favorite books over my life, but certainly it's an unfair question to ask. And so I certainly would not be buying the same kind of books for people for Christmas. I do love shopping for books for people for Christmas or their birthdays because you can just think about sometimes you want to give them something that's useful like my mother loves watching birds so quite often I'll see there's an amazing new book about birds perhaps or bird watching and she'll always enjoy that kind of thing something practical in the sense that if you know someone's embarking on a new hobby or something to give them a book that supports that new interest is always a nice thing to be able to do and then sometimes it's just about bringing some delight any of these books I've spoken about today, I've given as gifts at some point to some people because I think if a book brought me joy, there's something in there that'll make someone else happy, either on a, perhaps on an intellectual note or just as a fun thing to read. And especially over Christmas, because who wants to read serious novels over the December holidays? You need something fun and light and wonderful to enjoy. So what are you reading next? I think that the next Two books I'll be reading as a book by Neil Stevenson, which I was, he's a fantasy author that was recommended to me by a colleague about two weeks ago. So I bought my first Neil Stevenson novel. It seems to be a book that brings together tales of fantasy and magic and something. So really escapist fantasy, but in, written in a fun way. And then, of course, this book that I mentioned earlier by Carlos Ruiz Zafon, The Labyrinth of the Spirits, which is the sequel to his Barcelona book called Shadow of the Wind. Uh, those would be my first two books I'm going to be reading this December. I must first finish the book, My Brilliant Friend by Elana Ferranza. And then once I'm done with that one, then I think I'm going to do the next Harry Hole novel in the Jonas Bow series that I haven't read yet. So I think the next one that I have to read is The Snow Leopard. I think that's where I'm in the series at the moment. So that's definitely what I'm reading for Christmas. So we both do a lot of reading and how do you keep track of all the books you've read and the ones you liked and the ones you didn't like? I use an app for this. I think we use different apps. So let's tell people about that. My inner librarian takes over at home and all my books are catalogued on a website called librarything.com, which is a great way for anyone to just kind of catalog the books they have at home to and you can look it up on your phone or anywhere else you go. So when you're standing in the bookshop and you're wondering, do I have a copy of this book? It's, it's a great way to do that. However, it also, if you are that way inclined, 
the website allows you to do library quality cataloging of books and to share your expertise with everyone around the world who has an account on the website and to help them make their catalogs better and to really share kind of knowledge around your books. And You can do reviews, you can make recommendations. There's amazing bulletin boards where you can discuss all kinds of topics around books. I spend a lot of time on that website. I have several gold helper badges for fixing things on the website and clearing up issues and adding information and so of course on. you do. So I'm a bit I'm a bit addicted <laughs> to that. But then of course it helps you keep track of the books that you love. And books that you don't love, I mean, we own more than two thousand books in our home, so we run out of space every now and then. And that's when you take a critical look at your bookshelves and all the ones that you read and they were okay and they don't really have any sentimental value, or the ones you, you've just read and they were awful, that's the time when they all go to the library and to the SPCA shop, depending on which condition they're in. So, I mean, I think, but certainly my, my catalogue helps me keep track of that because it also allows you to rate books. So I can read, go back and read some of my own little reviews or see which what star rating I gave to a book if I can't remember if I really liked it or not. I'm not quite as sophisticated as you are in terms of cataloging my books. And anybody who goes to Rian's house will see that all the books on their shelves are catalogued according to the Dewey Decimal System. And he knows exactly if you've removed one book and there's a space and you haven't put it back where it's supposed to go. So I'm not quite that sophisticated, but I do like to put all the books that I've read into goodreads.com so that I can keep track of what I've been reading. And I can also there check what my other friends are reading as well, because a lot of the times they'll recommend something and I can then put it onto my to-read list. So I've got a, a to-read list of probably about 130 books on there at the moment. And it's nice to, when I get stuck, you can go in there and go, oh, what haven't I read or what's the latest book in this author's stable, which I still want to read. So that's what I use. I use goodreads.com. You know, with one click, you can import your Goodreads list into library thing. I can show you how. We might do that over the festive season. Let's see how it goes. Let's end off with why do you think people should read? I'm going to answer that in two ways. First of all, as someone working in the media industry, in a newsroom, in a journalism environment, it's a real problem for us that there are young people coming into our newsrooms who don't read books unless they're really forced to at varsity or at school perhaps, but in beyond that, they just don't read. And when you ask them, do you read anything? They say, yes, I read websites. And reading websites doesn't teach you anything about language or writing or taking in information. Your attention span gets shorter by the day. You skip when you read online. You don't actually take in as much information. That's been scientifically proven. That's why, you know, there's a case of a US college professor who teaching something to do with technology, IT, I can't exactly remember, but he encouraged his students to use their laptops and iPads to take notes. And then quite recently, he reversed that decision and said he banned all technology from his classroom because he realized by not writing and reading and paper, people were taking in much less information. So certainly professionally, I would encourage people to keep on reading as much as they can. If you want to be a writer of any kind, or just if you want to have a good command of the language and spelling and the way that language flows, Reading is the best way to learn that. And then personally, you should always read because it's amazing. I mean, it's the best way to create, to visit the most amazing worlds in your head and to read amazing thoughts by other people. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do. It is. I mean, I asked the Google earlier today why people should read books and I got four sort of answers which I think I can identify with as well. 
So firstly, reading fiction can help you to be more open-minded and creative. And it's exactly like you're saying, you can visit different worlds, different planets, and you can understand different viewpoints and perspectives, and you won't get that unless you read. And I think you should be reading books in particular. Um, one of the studies by Yale researchers said that people who read live longer. They studied 3,635 people, older than 50, and found that those who read books for 30 minutes daily lived an average of 23 months longer than people who don't read at all or who read magazines. So I don't know what the statistic would be for people who read websites or online or that sort of thing, but you live longer. Maybe it's just because you want to see what's going to happen next. I don't know why that would be, but yes. That was my thought. I mean, you can't really put down the book until you, you know what happens in the final chapter. So you've just got to keep on living until then. Yeah, another 23 months. But I mean, I, I will also just mention that, you know, I, I said about earlier that I like reading about post-apocalyptic scenarios. And certainly all my friends will be turning to me for books once ESCOM has finally crashed and there's no more electricity in South Africa and we're yeah. all reduced to living like animals. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why it's good to read books is because if you set yourself a target of reading, say, 50 books in a year, it's something you can actually achieve. It's something that's achievable, and also it's time that's well spent. It's not a time looking at your cell phone or catching up on social media. It's actually a good way to spend your time recreationally is to read books. I have recently banned my cell phone from the bedroom precisely for that reason, because... It's quite easy to, especially in the media industry, but I'm sure for everyone else also, you go to bed, your phone is next to you, do one final check of your Facebook or your Instagram and you get sucked into something and next thing you know, you've been reading for half an hour trivialities on your phone instead of an actual good book. Same thing when you wake up, you wake up with your phone next to you, you get distracted by the overnight notifications that come in. Now I plug my phone into the, in the kitchen, it charges the overnight and I go to bed and I only have my book to read. And I think that's a great way to spend your time. I mean, if all the stuff that you can learn in books, the best time to start anything new is right now. So imagine all of the stuff that you could learn and know one year from now if you read 50 books. Oh, it's amazing. All the new stuff that could be in your head, all constructive, positive stuff. And then the last reason why I think people should read is that successful people are readers. So because high achievers are keen on self-improvement, if you not, don't want to learn new things and, and change yourself, then the best way to do that is to read and read books. I couldn't agree more, yes. Thanks for listening to this special book edition of Unchange. My guest was Rian Vulmerans. For a full list of all the books we talked about, go to the Unchanged blog at solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash unchange. Remember to subscribe to Unchange on iTunes, TuneIn, CastBox, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribing means you get notifications when a new episode is available. This is Pietro Dupasani, and you've been listening to Unchanged.